Good morning and welcome to Stories in Public Health. I'm your host, Emily Dieter, and this is a podcast for people who are new to the field or interested in public health. And today we are especially lucky because Dr. Paul Kelly, who is currently the Chief Medical Officer of Australia, has taken time out of what I can only imagine is a ridiculously busy schedule to join us. Thank you for joining me, Paul. You're welcome, Emily, and it's lovely to see you again. So I guess we'll just jump right in. You are the Chief Medical Officer during a pandemic. Imagining that's a tough gig. It's a tough gig, but on the other hand, it's an incredible privilege. I'm well into my public health career and my medical career, and there have been times during that period where I've used all of my physical and mental capacity as well as my experience and, and expertise. But I think there are very few, well, I know there are very few that are up at this sort of level. It's been an incredible couple of years being in the middle of decision-making during a pandemic for, at the national level and internationally and working very closely with my state and territory colleagues, the chief health officers on the Australian Health Protection Principle Committee, which have met, I think, about 600 times during that period. Usually it's a three or four times a year, so you get the sense of how, of the scale of that. But it is, uh, it's an amazing thing to be a part of. I like to think that I've influenced the, the decision making in, in ways that have been beneficial to the health of the public of Australia. I would suggest that you have. I read about your letters about face masks the other week, which I thought was a good call. And I don't want to focus too much on COVID because I do want to hear about your career journey. But just quickly, obviously, we're in the midst of a new outbreak with a new variant. Are there any messages that you want to get out to people that they should be doing or things to consider? Yeah, so the people that are listening to this podcast are likely to be those that are aspiring public health professionals and really glad that there are people out there that are aspiring to aspiring to be public health professionals, we, we need you more than ever in relation to that. So please be inspired and aspire to join us in this exciting field. We're all general members of the public as well uh, here in Australia and possibly internationally. I think there's more twists to the tail of this pandemic to come. We should, we have to, we've got no other choice but to carry on and to work through it as professionals, but also as people who may be touched by the by the pandemic in terms of our own personal health. So stay the course, get engaged and involved to be listening to the public health authorities who have you in mind to, to get the best outcomes from a public health point of view and get vaccinated if you haven't yet. That is a key component of our response and not only our own personal protection, but the protection of the whole of the Australian population. Yeah, I always tell people that as well, that just the, the public health workforce in this country is amazing. So we're very lucky. So I might, I really want to hear about how you got to where you are. And I'm going to use, sorry, I probably should tell people we know each other. I didn't randomly email you. So I did cheat a little bit to get this this interview. So I'm going to use my point of reference to figure out your, your life story. But when we met, I was doing the Marshall of Applied Epidemiology and you were the director of the MAE at the time. So how did you get there from clinical medicine originally? Yes, and I'm just trying to think when that was now, but it's, uh, it it's, a while ago. <laughs> it's about 10 years ago or more, 12 years ago. So that was kind of in the middle of my career, I guess, being the director of the Master of Applied Epidemiology. So prior to that, I am a medical doctor. I, I did a medical degree in Perth. I was very interested at that time in emergency medicine and infectious diseases. Did further postgraduate training at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine which was mostly about clinical responses to infectious diseases and, and tropical diseases, but really helped me to distill something that I'd, I'd come across very vaguely during during my medical course 
about thinking about whole of population approaches and epidemiology. And I realized that that was the things that really interested me. After that, I came back to, that was in, you know, I was working in the UK. I came back to Australia and did a year of work in pediatrics and I've done some obstetrics and so forth, all, all looking to go to work in Africa, which I, I did do in the early nineties in Malawi. I kind of, I, I had a gap um, where I didn't, where I'd finished everything I thought I needed to do clinically before I went to run a hospital in Africa as a 30 year old. And I had, I had the spare six months. I just happened to be at the children's hospital, the old children's hospital in Sydney, in Camperdown. And there was this tiny little poster on the wall. I just happened to see it totally randomly. And it was an invitation to come to, a, to the University of Sydney uh, Department of Public Health to hear about the Masters of Public Health. I didn't, had never actually heard of a Masters of Public Health at that time. And I thought, well, that looks interesting. I've got a bit of spare time. Maybe I'll go and see what they have to say. And so I went along and I heard various doyens of the field at the time talk about how exciting public health was, how exciting their, their course was. And I signed up that night. Uh, and so that's how I got involved with public health. I went to, and so I did the first six months of that course and then moved to a, a more thesis track after that coursework and went to Africa and I did a, I ran a study of uh, HIV and tuberculosis amongst some real people I was seeing in that setting. Came back, did a PhD in public health and epidemiology and my fellowship in public health medicine. So that sort of set me up to be, have a public health career. So that was after I was already more than 10 years into my clinical training and continued to do clinical work for a period in the Northern Territory after that. And then we met Emily at that time and when I came down to Canberra and to, to run the Master of Applied Epidemiology, which was a wonderful course to be involved with. Met some extraordinary people who've gone on to amazing careers. And it gave me a real, a real breadth of knowledge about the health system in Australia and internationally uh, through that. So that was a wonderful five years. I then spent some time, another five years as the Chief Health Officer in, in the ACT. And then I've joined the Commonwealth more recently and been in this current role, either as a Deputy CMO or the actual CMO since the start of the pandemic in early 2020. And how did you get those kind of roles? Did you just apply or was it through knowing people? How sort of have you looked for opportunities? So I'd love to say that it was a very well thought out career plan that I just, you know, knew exactly where I was going. That would be a lie, essentially. There's been a lot of serendipity in relation to, to these matters. So my time up in the Northern Territory, which also included for eight years, Included time at Menzies School of Health Research working in Indonesia and East Timor. Uh, that was literally me being in the right place at the right time. Issues that, that arose, funding opportunities that came, uh, the independence of, of Timor-Leste, uh, all of those things happened whilst I was there. My, my interest in Aboriginal health was very much a focus of that time there. The MAE program directorship just suddenly became vacant and there was a there was a process for applications and no suitable candidate was found. And I, I came in very late to that process. Someone told me about this and I happened to be ready to leave Darwin. And so I applied and was found suitable. In my joining the ACT public service was really related to sort of funding difficulties for the MAE that occurred about that time. And an opportunity temporarily came up in ACT and then after two weeks, as a public health physician, and after two weeks, the incumbent chief health officer had 
some health issues. And so I was the last person to step backwards to take that job. So it certainly wasn't something that I aspired to, but I, I absolutely loved it once I joined and, and that was for five years. And for, for various reasons, it was time, time to move on from there. And I took a job at the Therapeutic Goods Administration for a year as the quasi deputy to the chief medical officer, but not not officially so. But I was I was acting I acted for the chief medical officer during that period, and then then the bushfires happened, and then COVID happened, and again, my history of working in emergencies and my infectious disease epidemiology background were absolutely perfect for what was needed at the time. Mostly, the chief medical officer job in the Commonwealth has been a a long-standing hospital clinician or hospital administrator. That's been the general sense of what that role is about. So I think in normal circumstances, uh, I may not have been as even competitive for, for this role, but there was a competitive process and I was very grateful to be chosen. Sorry, I know we are running out of time, but do you have any advice for people that they might be doing, studying medicine and have an interest in public health or doing an MPH? What do you wish you could say to yourself sort of earlier on? Yes, yeah, so I, I had this great privilege of talking to first-year ANU medical students in their first week. Actually, it might even be their first day of the course. And I, I tell them, look, on the basis of what I know about how many doctors become public health doctors, probably one out of this entire hundred that are in the course might pursue that. But in the meantime, all of you should and must think about other things other than the person that's in front of you at the time. Of course, if you're a clinician, you need to put that front and centre. But thinking about that population health point of view is really vital for any of us working in healthcare, and particularly, of course, any of us working in public health. So take those opportunities to consider that wherever you are right now, if you're a clinician or a student in whichever health workforce you might be, think about what your role is in terms of that population health area. And I think the, the pandemic has really taught us how important that viewpoint is. The other thing I'd say, and I can't remember if it was your class, Emily, in the in the MAE, but I re remember a very famous uh, public health, global public health presence, uh, David Heyman, coming and visiting uh, Canberra at one point, and he gave uh, this great message to students, and this would be my message to anyone listening too, is if you've got an opportunity, take it. Use whatever you can to get that experience that you need. It might not be the first thing you think might be the best thing at the time, but if there is an opportunity to be involved, engaged, challenged, take it. And so David talked about his experience as a the MAE equivalent in, in the US, the EIS, the Epidemic Intelligence Service run at CDC in Atlanta. And in his first year as a student, he was involved in the first Ebola outbreaks in West Africa. He was involved with the, the discovery of Legionnaire's disease in Philadelphia and a swine flu outbreak in a, which was one of the first and ended up being a relatively small outbreak in, in a US military base. And uh, that was all in his first year. And he, each time it kind of came to him because no one else was available. All the senior people, it was Christmas and they were having time off. He said, I'll go, I'll go to Kinshasa, I don't mind. So I guess that's my message <laughs> to everyone. That's an he impressive first year. <laughs> It was a pretty good first year and he's gone on to major and great things. Now, I know you do have to go easy. Okay, if I ask one more question. 
Of course. Excellent. So when I talk to people about leadership and things, I always actually use you as an example when I talk about networking. During the MA, a group of us went to South Korea for a conference and you were a networking machine. I think you had spoken to every single person at that conference by the end of the week. And you just it did it in such a natural way. You would go up to people and sort of introduce yourself. But did that always come naturally or did you have to practice that? <laughs> I, I blame my mother for that. <laughs> We have the, my, with my siblings, she's, she's passed away, but we remember her as a butterfly. She was a real social butterfly. So I used to watch her at parties and be similarly amazed <laughs> at that. Look, it, yeah, it's a bit like taking that opportunity. If you're in a, if you're in a room, don't be, don't be worried about who that person over there is and whether, you, you know, whether you're worthy to talk to them. Just go and talk to them. And it's amazing what you can do. People sort of uh, do joke that I seem to know everyone. I don't know everyone, but I have through that process, you know, been able to to meet people, and it's it always proves to be helpful. At some point, you know, there is always you, you can't work as an island in in public health. You need to you need to really reach out on occasions. And one one of the great things about the job, the role I'm in now, is I can actually virtually ring anyone and get some advice, and that's uh, very gratefully received. That's much easier if you've met them before. Just as an aside, my dad taught me everything I needed to know about supply chains and how grocery stores work and so forth. He was a, he was an executive at Woolies. Yeah, one of the key elements in the pandemic has been how supply chains and supply and demand issues for you know for PPE, for vaccines, for rapid antigen tests and so forth. And now, most recently, even the food supply chain specifically can be affected by a major pandemic because of absenteeism of of workers or disruptions in supplies. One of the great ironies of the pandemic was that it started in Wuhan, which is in China, which is one of the great world centers for making masks and other personal protective equipment, which wasn't able to be made at that time because of the, at the start of the pandemic, because of the close down of factories, the disruption of the supply chains from China. And then that affected the whole of the rest of the world exactly at the time when the demand was unprecedented. So that's what I've got from my parents. So learn from your parents. <laughs> yeah. Are there any big messages or things that I haven't asked that you'd like to say to anyone before we wrap up? No, look, I think that's been really, really uh, insightful questions from you, Annalie, about these things. And I think that central tenet of taking your opportunities when they come, if you have an opportunity to meet someone, do so. I'll and, work on uh, that. <laughs> yeah. And making yourself available to students. So I have to say, I know it's been a challenge to get me, but you're certainly, you and the other MAE graduates are very much part of my network and it's a, a very valued part of that. And it's a great privilege to have talked to you today and to anyone else that's listening. Thanks. Thanks, Paul. And I, I must say you have always been very supportive of my career and people coming up in the field. So I think that's one of the things that I really look up to you in terms of the way that you do support other people coming through. So I really do appreciate you taking the time. I always appreciate it, but I feel like you get extra credit because, you know, there's a pandemic. So really, thank you very much. You're welcome, Emily, and uh, thank you for having me. And thank you, everyone, for listening.